you um, a three partially uh, completed $100 bills. All of them are obviously not the right size. Obviously, uh, all of them are portions. And uh, although they probably were taking originally from uh, an original $100 bill, um, they are counterfeit. Uh, if you were to take them off, you wouldn't really do much to, to supply uh, uh, the proper $100 bill today. Um, why I'm bringing this up is simple. Uh, there is a, a religious faith, and that religious faith was uh, none other than Nicodemus in the first part of chapter 3. He was very religious. You couldn't get a more religious man than Nicodemus. He was absolutely to a spot, clean and religious. I am a religious man. He was, however, in need of a savior. And there, standing before Jesus, as Brother Wade was sharing last week, he asks these profound questions. How can this be? And what he should have been asking was, you alone are Lord because he was speaking to the God of creation. He was speaking to the one who was holding his very heartbeat in his hand. He was speaking to the one who spoke and the universe came into being. And so, John, as he attempts to display his theme, and his theme actually, it's fi- kind of funny, um, you don't find his theme until the very end of the book. So, giving you a little... Uh, Trailer alert here if you haven't already read, John. Uh, the theme of the, of, the, of the entire gospel account is to cause you to believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Now, a religious person believes the facts, but a truly born-again person, as John would report, his account to Jesus. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Your religion will not save you. We need to hear that same old truth today. In so many churches and so many places of worship, it's not religion that's going to save you. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ as the Son of God and that believing you have life. Uh, Dead people know When I was an unbeliever, dead, outside of Christ, I knew I had no life. I had religion. And so too Nicodemus gets the message. Because we find two other accounts in the the Gospel of John where Nicodemus starts to defend this one who is considered an outsider. This one who is considered a rebel. This one who is considered one who is upsetting the apple cart. And he defends him and later on, he participates in the funeral of Jesus, the anointing of Jesus. And he demonstrates that he has true faith. So, the question is, do you have real faith, ritual faith, or religious faith today? Very quickly, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but it's good to do a bit of an overview Chapters are divided up into two halves. The book has the first 12 chapters, which describe in many ways the incidents 
that John was particularly significantly wanting us to zero in on so that you would know what it means to truly believe. And so he speaks of the eternal word in the first of chapter one, but then he speaks of that same eternal word speaking to Nathaniel at the end of the chapter and saying, I saw you, by the way, when you were under that fig tree. And Nathaniel immediately responds by saying, you are the son of God. He gets it. Of course, the water into wine and the temple being cleansed in chapter two. Nicodemus, the chapter we're looking at, was looked at at the beginning of last week, and now we're looking at the disciples of John. Because why? Because there were so many religious people that were followers of John. Remember Acts 19. This is way after Pentecost, and there are still disciples of John out there. And you find them still following after the repentance baptism. Baptism is wonderful, but it won't save you. It is a demonstration of obedience, as we were saying earlier. It is the act of submission. It is an object lesson, but it won't save you. Only Jesus Christ, the living God of this universe, can save you. And it has to be a two-way transaction. If you ask, you better make sure he answered. Because there are so many of us who think and we are deceiving ourselves. We think that we've prayed this little tiny prayer sometime in our past. And that's all there is to it. And that's like saying to your wife, honey, I loved you once. I loved you and that's enough. And, and don't ever ask me to say that again. And Bob, I'll tell you, any husband knows you better not get into that kind of a track. You won't be there very long. No, God is a loving God and he cares about us, but he is also a jealous God. And he wants us for himself. And so we have the accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the man born blind, raising of Lazarus, and the anointing and the entrance of the Greeks. And then he says, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And then we have chapter 13 through the end of the book, which really center in on the last week of Jesus' life. So it's as if John is saying, look at all these things talk about what it means to truly believe, and now I'm going to get into the real heart of the matter, why you need to believe in this one. And he gives us details none of the other disciples give us. For example, only John's account talks about the washing of the feet, that Jesus comes and washes the disciples' feet. And he, it's only John's account that he describes himself as divine. And only John's account, we have the high priestly prayer in John Verse chapter 17. And it's in John's account we have the restoration of Peter up in Galilee when Jesus says to him, do you really love me, Peter? Remember, you said you loved me. You would go all the way with me and then you denied me three times. Do you love me? And each time Peter has to reply, you know I love you. And he says, well, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Real love has to act. Also, John's gospel has the nine I am's, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheepfold, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life and the vine. It's unique in that respect. But where are we? We're in John chapter three, verses 22 to 36. And there's John the Baptist 
And there would be those who would think of themselves as being religious, not like Nicodemus was religious, but like John the Baptist was religious. They had gone through the waters of the baptism of repentance. They were waiting in expectation, but it was still a form of religion. And so John, the gospel writer, makes it clear, very, very clear in this account that that baptism was not what saves, but it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus. They were near Anon. Was, uh, this is a picture of uh, what the Jordan Valley looks like today. It's about just about ready to dry up. They're using it so much for irrigation over there. It was much more water in those days. And uh, it's located in the northern section, not too far from Samaria. And uh, you can see it there on the map. I, I don't know if I have a... Do I have a pointer here? Is there a pointer? A uh, pointer. The red button? Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. So there's, there's, there's where we're looking at. That's where this actually happens, right here. And this is uh, near Salem. It's quite an interesting little, little town. Not much there. Just water and a few scraggly trees. And it said that Jesus and his disciples came and stayed there a long time baptizing. And John was also baptizing. So you have these two competing groups doing baptisms. And then the question arises from the Jewish disciples, those who were followers not of John, not of Jesus, but of the rabbis in Jerusalem. And they come to John and they say, oh, by the way, he who was with you, Across the other side of the Jordan River, to whom you witnessed, look, this is the one who is now baptizing to him over. All are coming to him. Don't you think that's wonderful? And they're trying to goad him. They're trying to say, you had a following. What did you do? Like you had thousands of people coming to you. And aren't you a little bit envious? We would be. Aren't you a little bit covetous? We would be. Aren't you a little bit upset? We would be. And these disciples of the Jews are trying to goad John. What does he respond? Well, he responds, a man is not able to take anything unless it's to be given to him out of heaven. You yourselves heard my witness in that I stated, I am not the Christ. Now, the, the, the King James and some of the other translations says, I was sent in advance of him. The actual word is apostle. Apostello. I was a sent one in advance. I was an apostle. And he says, that's the reason. He's the reason. Is he your reason for existence? See, John had it right. He who holds hands with the bride is the bridegroom. The groom's best man just stands and listens. Ever been a best man? Bridesmaid? It's a wonderful experience, isn't it? But there's something about it. You don't have the joy that the groom and the bride have. (laughs) No way. You're pretty happy. You're pretty happy to stand as a witness. But boy, they're just beaming. They're just glowing. John says, that's my relationship to Jesus. I want him to be lifted up. And I want myself to shrink. He must grow. I must shrink. Now that's the, should be the attitude of all of us who name the name of Christ, is it not? John's got it right. 
He's not interested in a popularity contest. He's not interested in great fanfare. He wants people to go to Jesus. That's what he said. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Go that way. We believe that some of the early disciples of John actually became some of the twelve. There seems to be some quite some strong evidence of that. And so he says, he must grow and I must shrink. Let me tell you a story about a bread man. While we were living in Matheson, we got to know John McLaughlin. He was called the Western Bread Man. That was the days when the bread man would go around and he would deliver loaves on these huge pallets and he would deliver to the grocery stores. And that was John's, John McLaughlin's day trading job. That was his way of earning a living. But his real passion was reaching out to others for Jesus. And he loved to give out the word of God. And so, for a great many years, he did just that. He gave out bread, physical bread, but he more importantly gave out spiritual bread. And then there's another bread man. The Northland bread man. Our dear brother, now to be in the presence of the Lord, Chester Donaldson. And this was taken a few years back as they were making bread in there after his tradition and after he had taught them how to do it. And we had one last opportunity for him to stand beside the bread. And of course, he faithfully gave out the word of God to you and to me. And I would not be here, standing here, if it was not for the impact of this dear man of God in my life. And I'm sure that there are so many of you who would say exactly the same thing. He was the Northland bread man. But there is a much greater breadman than the Weston's breadman, not much greater breadman than the Northland breadman, and that is Jesus, the living breadman. And he has come. He came over 2,000 years ago. He came to those who were like the religious Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. He came to John's disciples and the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist's repentant people, and he said, you still need to be born again. You see, Repentance is, is something he preached. But repentance won't save you. Emotions won't save you. Tears won't save you. What saves a person is Jesus. He saves and he alone. And so have you tasted? We have a verse in the Old Testament. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Most of us will be leaving here shortly to taste something. Hope it's good for you. But I'll tell you. There's nothing better than having known and tasted the Lord Jesus. And those who have professed faith in him in the waters of baptism today declare it. Those of us who have been going on a little longer perhaps declare it. He is good. He is love. And he is wonderful. Have you tasted? Have you trusted there are those in Hebrews that says they tasted. They tasted of the good things to come, but they didn't come into the relationship with Jesus because it's based on trust. Have you received him? For John says, as many as received him, gave he the right, the authority to be children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And so the chapter 3 is a wonderful chapter, because on the one hand you have this religious Jew, Nicodemus, and on the other hand you have these repentant Jews. They're, they're actually what we'd call today the contemporary church. 
you know, they're the ones who are out there doing everything to win people. And they are given it all. But he's saying, what you need to center in on is the middle of the chapter. And it's right there, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Someone here perhaps this day has been in Nicodemus' shoes, practicing religion, but still knowing that you are away from God. Someone here maybe is in the Baptist, John the Baptist's shoes. You have a repentant spirit, but you still know you haven't got it. This morning, at the breaking of bread, some of you may have heard a strange voice while Brother Eve was sharing. Sorry, Eve, that was me. And it wasn't me, well, it might have been even me, but it was my little tape recorder. I have no idea how my tape recorder started up during your time. And I, for the life of me, thought it was somebody else's cell phone. And I kept looking around and I couldn't figure out where that sound was coming from. And there it was, my little tape recorder that I keep in my Bible bag. It somehow started talking. And it was doing... And those of you who heard that sound, you weren't just thinking you were hearing things. You were hearing something. I went to the tape recorder when I finally realized where that sound was coming from. I was almost, I was looking at Steve. Steve, do something. Turn off the set or do something, you know. And I'm going, it's really me, you know. I finally got to the bag that had it and I opened the bag and all of a sudden the sound gets louder and I'm going, oh, that is me. Oh, <laughs> pull out the little tape recorder and I'm trying to turn it off. It won't turn off. This thing is still running. Finally, I pulled the battery. <laughs> There's an illustration here. Baptism is about pulling the battery. It's about recognizing we've died with Jesus. We need to let him live in us. And when we surrender our hearts, we simply say, I am yours. Do with me what you will. You can only say that when you really believe he loves you. If you believe he's a mean ogre hiding underneath a bridge ready to pounce on you, you'll never surrender your life to Jesus. But if you know he loves you with an everlasting love, you will surrender. Take out the battery and let him come in. If you haven't done that, wouldn't it be wonderful today if you became a disciple of Jesus, not because you did anything, but because you surrendered and let him wash you and make you white as snow. May God bless you as you go forth from this place. We're going to ask our brother to come forward and and have this final hymn. God bless you. Thank you, Dave. Uh, For those who have truly trusted and received Jesus, this song becomes their testimony. The longer we're with him, the sweeter that bread grows in our, in our taste. So let's uh, stand together and uh, sing 518. Happy be Father, we pray that what we've seen and heard today might affect our hearts, that we might trust in you, that we might believe in you, that we might experience that life, that sweetness that grows each day And as we uh, go forth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.